0: Atlassian.
1: Support for this show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi everyone, this is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher.
0: And I'm Scott Galloway.
1: And in the spirit of Thanksgiving, today we're bringing you our very first parenting show. We have a lot of kids between us. Six, I think, correct? That I mean, that I know of. I know I only have... Four. I know I don't know how many you have, but in any case, we've been asking you all, listeners, to send in your questions, which have been great. We've also gotten some advice from some experts and parents in the field. A quick note, some of our listener questions have been edited for length and clarity. Scott, welcome to our parenting show. We had a dating show. Now we have a parenting show.
0: Yeah, this is very exciting. And for me, parenting takes on really a lot of dimensions personally and economically because, Kara, unvaxed sperm is a new Bitcoin.
1: Oh
0: my god! <laughs> <laughs> From the Vox Media podcast network. Oh, god.
1: oh my god! We're I love about that. I love that. Kids. By the way, do Try you know? To bring it up. let you Let's know? Listen
0: true story. True story. I I paid for my junior year at college as a sperm donor.
1: So you have children all over L.A. In other words,
0: probably. Probably.
1: Anybody who thinks they're Scott's child, please no, write me. No, 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 We will no, f- no, have no, a no, lovely cat no, no. together. In any case, we love parenting more than anything, we actually. Do. I think it's our favorite thing. So let's just start, get right in there. We're going to give some advice. By the way, we're not perfect parents, are we? Are we? Except for me. No, I'm kidding. No, we're not perfect parents.
0: I do. I, I mean this sincerely. Um People always ask about you, and when, when I get interviewed, and I say the mm-hmm. thing I admire most about you is your ability to work as hard as you do, and but put your kids first. I love the way you parent. I've learned I a lot. Try. From they you. I try. They don't that. think
1: that always. Early earlier I mean, that's in my their life, their job I didn't is this not much. to think that. I know that, but I think they've turned out rather well. I think yeah, that yeah, many people great. tell me, especially my my older sons. I think they're really fine yeah, young men. kids. Anyway, uh, let's kick it off with a question that came in via email. I'll read. Hi, Karen Scott. How do you know if you want to become a parent? My fiancé and I are both professionally successful and are currently pursuing his MBA at Duke University. I see us settling down in our long-term city in a few years, and it makes me wonder about our future. I hear people saying that having children is one of the best things a person can do, but I also see us having a happy life if we don't. I think we'd be good parents, but there's a lot of fear that comes along with that. We'd love to hear each of your thoughts on this. Thank you, Jolene, Durham, North Carolina. This is a great question. I was actually mm-hmm. talking to my son about this. A lot of young people don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. They th- Lots of reasons, the the economy, uh, environmental issues, the climate change and stuff like that. I, of course, take the different tech, and I get it. I, I'm right now in San Francisco, and I got to sleep all night so happy. I couldn't be happier by being alone. But I think I've wanted to become a parent since I was very young. When I was 17, 18 years old, I was buying baby clothes. Um, so it's always been something I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important for our future. It says you believe in the future and you work harder for the future in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I think about it a lot more. And it is the best thing I have done, I I would have to say, except for my uh, my my fifth child, Scott Galloway, having my fifth there child. There you go. But Thanks for that. I think you can have a happy life without children. So I don't. I have a lot of friends who do not have children. But- They have made my life happier. What about you, Scott?
0: Uh, So there's a lot there. This is a deeply personal decision and there's Mm -hmm. a lot you said that I agree with. One, I don't think having kids is a requisite to being happy. I have a lot of of friends who are married or single, uh, no desire to have kids, have very happy lives. I did not want to have children. I never wanted them. I found other people's children awful. Um, I loved being selfish. I recognized that I was a pretty selfish person and also i do think there's some fairly sober conversations you have to have with yourself regardless of of what's right or wrong about your ability to have kids i think it's much easier to have a loving secure household when you have zone coverage and that is you have mm-hmm. Two parents or more than one caregiver. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have kids if it's just you. I think it's wonderful that women are freezing their eggs and deciding, you know what, I'm not going to let a romantic relationship or lack thereof make that decision for me. Mm -hmm. But there's just no getting around it. Dan Quayle was sort of right. Two parents Uh, are better than one. Where he got it wrong is it doesn't really matter – the gender, the relationship. Yeah. It can be a grandmother and a mother deciding to raise kids together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but zone coverage helps. The other thing that's unfortunate or but Or tr- excellent
1: daycare or excellent childcare ability. And that's a real problem in this country. Huge, biggest problem, I think.
0: Nothing replaces the irrational passion for a child's well-being as someone who takes— it can be a step-parent, it can be a yeah. relative, whatever it might be. The other sober conversation you have to have, and I think it's very important and very unfortunate— is economics, it's expensive to raise kids and raising kids brings stress. And the thing you don't wanna add to that is a crazy amount of stress because you can't, you have economic stress because any economic stress you have as an individual will be um, exponential with children because you as a working professional adult can, if needed, go sleep on a friend's couch or move to a lower Mm -hmm. cost neighborhood. When you have kids, You know, they've got to stay in school. You have to provide for them. And if you want to talk about shame, the most shame, not shame, the most stress I think I've ever felt, a real fear, was when my son came marching out of my girlfriend and I thought, okay, I've made good money, but it was 2008, it was a financial crisis. I was less wealthy than I expected to be at that point. And all of a sudden I was like, fuck, I, I don't have enough money. We're living in New York. We're going to need a three-bedroom. And it was very, very stressful. Let me cut to the chase, and I ended up at the same place mm-hmm. you ended up. I did not want to have kids. Uh, I was forced hmm. to. I was forced to because my girlfriend, who is, uh, uh, you know, just scores higher on a balanced scorecard on every dimension than me, and I didn't want to lose her, said, I'm having kids. Mm-hmm.
1: So, we had She's, kids. She is better than you, but go ahead. Uh,
0: and I recognize that. I'm smart That's enough to recognize said. that. <laughs> having kids for me. Has checked a box in indelible ink that I didn't even know the box existed. Mm. I did not love my children when they first showed up. I fell in love with them. And now it is hands down, hands down, the most joyous thing in my life. Every oh, time, nice. well said, every time I turn the corner, to, uh, my block where my house is. You know that rush of excitement when you uh, like. Mm-hmm. You know when you just fall in love with someone, or you're seeing mm-hmm. friends from college for the first time in ten years. Those moments happen so irregularly. Where you have that moment of excitement, yeah. anticipation. I, I get yep. that every time I come up to the door to my house. I. Can't wait to see my kids. I
2: would agree.
1: It's amazing. I when Louis he's a big hugger, my oldest son, and he goes, "Mama!" like that. Still to this day, even when he was little and to today, it's the I am the happiest person. Uh, all the kids when they do that. And the other night I came home and Clara was just she rushed around the corner and was so happy to see you, and she goes. I need a hug. And I was like, oh, God, this is fair. And it sounds kind of weepy and that kind of stuff. But it's really, uh, I've always wanted to have kids, and Scott didn't. So it's kind of an interesting thing, um, different. I never thought I wouldn't. And in fact, at my advanced age to have more kids, which I did during the pandemic with my wife, Amanda, was, wasn't even a choice. I was like, I didn't even think about it. I, yes, was, there, was, there was a yes before there was a yes, which is interesting.
0: I hope my partner doesn't hear this because she hmm. will kill me. Yeah. I regret not having a third. I regret mm-hmm. not having a girl. Mm-hmm. And I i laid down the law. I was getting older. I, it's mm. something I wish Sh- I'd had a third. Listen
1: to Kara Swisher. And
0: also, Jolene, you're in a what sounds like a loving, secure relationship. You're economically viable. You're, quite frankly, you're out of central casting to have kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable saying that just given what I know about your situation, that there's a really, really strong likelihood uh, the rest of your life you will look back and think, that was a great idea. That was just yeah. a great idea, having kids. Indeed.
1: So. That is absolutely, that's why I had more kids. I regretted not getting pregnant again. Um, and I, I wanted a girl too. So yeah, got a I girl and a boy. A girl. Anyway, is this the Jolene from the Dolly Parton song? Congratulations there for you getting go. your man and taking it away from Dolly Parton. Anyway, this one comes from Chelsea. She left us a voicemail. Let's listen.
3: Hi Karen, Scott, this is Chelsea from Salt Lake City, Utah. I noticed that I was becoming a very distracted parent and deleted my social media profiles. I didn't just take them off my phone. I got rid of them altogether and it's helped a lot to just not be distracted when I'm around my kids, but what I've noticed is that this is really lonely because everybody else still has their distractions on their phones. And I often find myself being the only parent at the library or the children's museum or the park that isn't on my phone. I know that there's been a lot of studies about the effects of social media on kids, but what do you guys think about the effects of distracted parents on a generation of kids? Love to hear your input. You have a wonderful show. Thank you so much. I love to listen every week. Bye.
1: Oh, that's a great question. I would agree with you. I Look, social media is addictive. That's it. And it, you reach for it. And so it, it is... I know I shouldn't be using it as much, especially Twitter, for example. And I would find it very hard not to have looking at something, whether it's Television. I I watched all the crown. I, I binge watched the crown uh, last night. Um, but and I had a lot of other work to do. I happened to be alone, so I was able to do that. But I think it's really um, it does have an effect on kids. It makes them twitchier. It makes parents twitchier. It makes them distracted. I have done different things like putting the phone somewhere else or turning it upside down. I do a lot of that. Um, I definitely don't use it driving. That's something I'm very particular about with uh, with in that I put it down and do not pick it up and i get angry when uh, anybody who's driving my kids or me does that um but i agree it's really hard and you do feel lonely because everybody else is looking at it i was on the the subway the other day and everyone was looking at their phones. The only way I felt sort of better about it is it used to be a newspaper or book in their hand before, and now it was this. This is 10 times more addictive, but it's very not akin to that when you're sitting on a subway and not just the ability to just look around is very hard um, without like reaching for news or information at the, and getting it right away. Scott?
0: Yeah, there's uh, several dimensions to this. So, there's in terms of your own use of social media, you know, it does add a lot of value to certain people. The business I'm in, it adds a lot of value in terms of reach and relevance. uh, And I enjoy it. I do find I get a lot of discovery. People always ask me, What are your news sources? And I'm like, Quite frankly, it's Twitter. And also, but there's a dark side to it. I'm desperate for other people's affirmation. I don't know how pathetic that is. And I would say, of the five or six times over the last 12 months, I have felt really down. A, a couple of them started or originated or catalyzed on Twitter. Yeah. As it relates to your kids, what I've tried to do is, when I'm just around the phone, and this is not easy for me because I realize I'm addicted to my phone. I do it, you know, I look at stock prices. I do all sorts of information. Mm-hmm. I, I just do a bunch on, I proof documents on my phone. The What I try and do when I'm around my kids is I try to put the phone away because I do think, your kids will will mirror you. I think they will they will mimic you. And if they see you on your phone addicted all the time, it kind of gives them license to be on their phones all the time. So I do think it's important to be off your phone when when you're in visual visual shot of your kids. The other thing I do with my kids, I would like to see age gating of social media, that's not going to happen cuz they're all on it now, but I don't let my kids spend too much time on the phones, I take their phones from them, and I don't let them be anywhere alone on their phone for more than 20 or 30 minutes unsupervised. Mm -hmm. Because when I read these cases, and I go into a rabbit hole, when I read about these awful cases about self-harm, it usually involves a young boy or girl in their room alone with their phone for hours on end. And they go down a rabbit hole. So if yeah. my, my youngest, I want to be clear, I'm not a purist. I think anyone who tells you not to have your kids on screens does not have yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, when my youngest goes into his room at night, he wants 20 minutes to talk to his friends back in America. I'm like, fine. And I hear their voices and I hear them laughing. That's fine. There's some actually wonderful things about the phone and social. Mm-hmm. But I will not let them go into their room for hours on. I take their phone before they go to sleep.
1: Yeah, good idea. That's a really good, well, you know, it's interesting because you said that over the phone is my uh second son, he's got a really lovely girlfriend and he's talking to her quite a bit on the phone and I'm thrilled with it. And I I try not to overhear, but you, it just, the social development happening is massive and fantastic. And I love that he's, you know, talking to her on the phone and they, they use the, they use the screen and everything. And sometimes he comes up and it's like, she's, you know, I, I'm not gonna say her name because, well. Anyway, she's great. And she he like asked the question and should we do this? This person he's going out with thinks this. What do you think, mom? It's really great device for that. And I feel great about that. Both of my sons use phones in a very healthy way. Alex likes to watch videos on it. So does Louis, whether it's John Oliver or his. He was the other day, you know, he, I walked downstairs and he breakfast and he was, I was like, oh, he's using the phone. But he's listening to the best video about World War II. I was like thrilled mm-hmm. that he was listening to it. And I was overhearing it. And I thought, oh, well, that, he's studying this. It's good. Um, and it was well done. And Louis the same way. He's often, you know, looking at cooking things or things like that. So I think that's great Louis has taken off all social media things from his phone. He just hmm. doesn't feel good. He did it on his own. I did not ask him to. He said, I just don't feel good. Doesn't make me feel good. I don't like it. And I was very thrilled that they did it. So I think I need to cut down even more uh, around the little kids for sure. Um And I should be putting it away. The only thing is... You kind of need the phone if your kids are trying to get in touch with you, too. Like Alex is always trying to get in touch with me or my ex-wife or my son or my mom. And so that's one thing that I like to keep it so I can see if someone's trying to reach me for various and sundry reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are important to be know that they're trying to reach you. So that that's something I, I don't want to necessarily not have it around for. Anything else, Scott?
0: No, I, I think it's an important yeah. question. And we all struggle with this. And I don't think anyone... You know, I, I don't think anyone gets it right here, and a lot of it is about yeah. the kid. I mean, what you just described, Louie, mm-hmm. Just the fact that he's done that means he's more self-aware he than is. the majority of adults.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> like, I, I, I
0: realize it would be better for my mental health for extended periods of time to not mm-hmm. be on social, and I don't have that discipline.
1: Yeah, he's great. He, though that he was, you know, doing Tinder and things like that, and then the other day he's like, "Oh, I met someone cool at a party," and he was much happier. You know, it may not work out, by the way. I don't even know. I haven't talked to him about it. But that's such a healthier way, (laughs) whether it works or doesn't. That's a much healthier way. Anyway, we reached out uh, to some friends. By the way, we're not purists. Neither of us are purists, for sure. We reached out uh, to some friends of Pivot to get their tips on parenting. We're going to play this one and then go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about measuring success as a parent. It's not just marks on the doorframe, although I have a doorframe here in San Francisco uh, that has all my kids, my older kids' heights, and I'm going to keep doing it with the younger kids.
2: All right, here's our first tip from a friend of Pivot. Hi, Kara and Scott it's janet lansbury from unruffled i wanted to share the best parenting advice i've ever received it was to stop stimulating my baby so much and to instead just let her be in a safe place on a stable surface where she was free to move her body and then for me to just observe her the amazing thing that happened was i saw my baby as her own person for the very first time she had her own thoughts interests, ideas, she didn't need me to come up with the play ideas for her. And it soon became clear that I should really try not to interrupt hers, except to respond to her overtures, of course. So beyond taking care of her physical and emotional needs, which certainly kept me busy enough, I could relax, trust, and enjoy discovering the uniquely capable person in my child. And honestly, 30 years later, I'm still doing that.
5: That's A T L A S S -S I A N dot com. Support
3: for this podcast comes from constant contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need constant contact. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com.
1: Okay, Scott, we're back. Next, we have some thoughts from your friend, Richard Reeves. Let's listen.
6: I'm Richard Reeves, Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution and author of Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, why that matters and what to do about it. And I'm quite hopeful at the moment that parents are starting to realize that many of our boys are struggling. They're struggling in the classroom. That can very often lead to struggles in life. They're struggling with the question of how to be a good man in this modern world and they have an education system that very often doesn't suit them and that's not not because there's something wrong with them we're really I think coming to realize that it's not a defect that lies within our boys within our sons but very often something about the structure of the systems that surround them and also I think a failure to provide a more positive script for masculinity and for what it means to grow from boy to man and I'm sensing a real growing recognition on the part of parents that we We shouldn't just assume our boys will be okay. We have to help them to be okay and that we're willing to step up to that task and to help our sons to become really, really good men.
1: Oh, that's a really great thing. Why don't you start and then I'll say something.
0: So I have maybe four or five kind of current role models where I I think I feel something, I've been observing it, but I need a Yoda around it. And someone comes along and fills that void around polarization and kind of, I don't know, uh accountability or council cul- culture became Jonathan Haidt. Uh, I, you know, Valuations, Aswat Richard Reeves is my new Yoda. And by the way, I mm-hmm. his podcast with me on Prof. G is our most downloaded podcast in our history. <laughs> I think that book is a landmark book. Two years like ago, that. Uh, there was a zero-sum-game-itis, I'll call it. And that is if you ever advocated for young men or said something is wrong in Mudville, people saw it as a zero-sum game and immediately labeled you as being anti-women. And we've made a lot of progress. And because of the good work that Richard's done, feminist uh, academics are are waking up to the notion that the education system right now is biased against men. And I struggle with threading this needle, and I think a lot of us struggle with it. And that is boys... Um, some of their, uh, their attributes, their restlessness does not foot well to school. And I have a 12-year-old, and I can't figure out the balance between trying to implement – he's gone from 50-minute classes in the U.S. to 80-minute classes here – In London, And I think for my 12-year-old son to sit in a seat for 80 minutes and learn French is mildly torturous for him. At the same time, I recognize that as a parent, you're basically the prefrontal cortex for your son. And so I'm struggling with the balance between implementing some discipline, uh, delay of gratification, and at the same time recognizing that some boys uh, probably aren't meant to be shoved through the traditional the traditional decorum of a traditional education. And it's something I really struggle with. And I see more and more young men, there's so many weird things, testosterone levels are plummeting. Boys, uh, men are leaving the workforce or young Mm men. The bottom half of men in terms of attractiveness, and when I say attractiveness, this very crude metric around their ability to demonstrate current or future resources are being totally shut out of the mating market. Yeah. 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 Anyways, I I'll think, sum it by just by saying I think Richard Reese has done really yeah. important work and I would encourage anyone to read his book who has sons or is interested in the issue.
1: Uh, let me first preface it that like men do have more advantages than women in general, in, in the workplace, in earnings, in uh their size, their you know, look, men run everything. And so it's not to say uh you should feel sorry for boys, but I do say raising two kids, I would agree with Scott on this, is that they my son, my older son, had had to they they he really was jumpy and he needed to get out and run a little bit more. And he wasn't as able to control himself. And it wasn't by any of his nature. He just couldn't. And so one of the things we ended up doing is two things. We used to put weights on him. Um, and then hmm. also let him run around, which was kind of funny. Like they, whenever he'd get jumpy, they'd let him they'd let them run the, around the playground three times, which worked much better because they kept doing this That's executive a great function school. thing. That's a
0: great yeah,
7: school. Yeah, it was great. Well, that. it
1: took a while. It took a while um, to get them to do that, which was interesting. And I always used to notice, so I used to go to class sometimes to watch him to see how we would deal with it. And girls were doing all kinds of shit and they got away with it. It was fascinating. And I was like, boys, you're really dumb. You get caught super easy. And so, and I do think the teachers were more attuned to uh, explosions of energy versus... Little different kind of stuff. That definitely was happening. That said, I think it's really important to, to make boys aware of their status in society. I spent I don't spend a lot of time shaming my sons about things, but I want them to be aware of their advantages and also look around and pay attention to other people's lived experiences. And I, that's not being woke or anything else. But one of the times I was walking with the two of them and one of them is very tall. The other is tall and big and. I was looking around at night in a, in a part of D.C. that, you know, has more, not crime, but just as a woman, you always are looking for. Mm-hmm. You're always looking around. I just You just do. Even if nothing's ever happened to you, you're aware of your surroundings a lot more. Yeah. And my son was like, what are you looking at, Mom? And I'm like, oh, my God, you don't think like I do. And I was – so I started talking about it. And he – why would he think about it? It was really – he's a same thing. We had a, a police officer say – my son pulled a leaf off a tree and a police officer – said what did you do and and he was kidding he was teasing my son and my son was like what and i was like imagine you're a different person like it was you a really good opportunity yes exactly <laughs> yes and this guy was laughing with him and my son felt no uh, lack of safety, because he ne- he why would he? And so it was interesting. just I, I don't think he'll ever live in other people's bodies, and it's really hard. So I spent a lot of time doing that. I do see the loneliness and the difficulty of meeting people, about creating relationships. This world is, you know, I had a long discussion with one of my 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 second son, Alex, about climate. You know, it makes people feel a little bit like, what have you done to us? What have you left us with? Um, and so anything that can push back, on making boys, one, more aware, and two, um, able to say they're vulnerable, able to say they're upset. I Some of the best discussions I've had with Louis is when he actually got upset and cried. And he's able to do that much more than Alex is. But they're both able to cry um, when they're upset. And I think that's uh, the best thing I'm—sometimes um, I say to them, and Amanda does too, is we're making you— Better men for the women, I think they're straight, right? At this moment, they're straight. But um, for the women, you're going to be with. And that's what I think about a lot, making really good fathers and, uh, and partners is what we're trying to do for the next generation.
0: Can I just want to respond to some of the things you said? because, Please do. in terms of your sons having advantages,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they have advantages physically. Everywhere. Um, when you're big and you're strong, people mm-hmm. are less likely to commit violence against you. Mm-hmm. And to not recognize that women and, in general, people who are smaller, who mm-hmm. are physically smaller, are under greater threat, and have every reason to be, have to think about that, to always have that kind of anxiety present mm-hmm. when they're walking around. You, you, you to not be cognizant of you are advantage there, and to not use your physical strength to try and dial down or de-escalate situations or you know, is, is an abuse of that power. You have power mm-hmm. when you're big and physically. You use it to mm-hmm. protect people. You use it to create an environment of safety with people. They are advantaged there. They are advantaged that they were born into wealth. They were advantaged that they were born into the greatest country in the world, yes, the United indeed. States. However, adjusting for all of that, they don't have advantages, they, yeah. the The school system is biased against them. It, on an earnings level, if you're under the age of 30 and you're a college graduate, women and men's compensation has equalized. Where they become disadvantaged as women is when they have kids. kids but yep. young men and women, compensation is leveled up. You could make an argument that the education system, which your boys are kind of in the, the, the epicenter of, is actually biased against men. You could also argue that the mating market that your men are – your young men are entering in, specifically apps, is biased against them. So I, I don't think that they – I think it's – I think everyone should recognize their advantages and be humble and grateful. But young men right now are – and not only that, their father was advantaged. Their grandfather was hugely advantaged. But that doesn't mean in any way we should resent them for that.
1: No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't say that. I just want them to be aware of their place in society. That's all. Yeah. I spent a lot. Well, I don't like, listen, I do not harp on this with them because I do think sometimes just making people feel bad is, is the worst parenting thing, making your kids feel bad. And I've done it. And if every time I've done it, I've regretted it. Yeah. Anyway, we've also heard from another friend of Pivot on this topic.
2: Let's play that. Hi, Karen Scott. It's Emily Oster here, professor of economics at Brown University and author of Expecting Better, Crib Sheet, and The Family Firm. My biggest concerns for parents in the upcoming year is that we are all exhausted. Parents have gone through two years of COVID quarantines, of childcare shortages, of formula shortages, of RSV. There are so many challenges, and facing each new one seems incredibly daunting. At the same time, the pandemic created a lot of problems that we still need to solve, and we're still waiting on solutions to the setbacks that the kids have experienced through the pandemic and to the problems it's created for parents. I am hopeful that over the next year, we can begin to refocus and try to look for solutions to some of these problems so the next year can be a better one than this has been. Well, that's true. I have
1: to say, the only thing I would push back on that, of Emily, is that We've spent a lot of time together as a family because of pandemic. And I suspect the two younger kids are going to feel a lot more secure. We've been able to, we've had the privilege to be able to do that. Listen, I've gotten all those illnesses and I'm sick all the time, but uh, because of small kids. But we have, that having those younger children, i would be really interesting to study the pandemic babies because they've had so much more face time with their families probably overall. Scott, any thoughts?
0: Look, I think what she's saying If you want to talk about people who really um, outside of what I'll call health risks, the Mm -hmm. people who who had the the greatest blow to their lives and stress were single mothers who weren't economically secure Mm -hmm. because the remote schooling was Latin for mom is now the teacher. I I mean, I saw my kid on on an iPad doing math supposedly for an hour, and I'm like, this is literally ridiculous (laughs) And and then if you didn't have the technology and you didn't have broadband, we lost decades of of female participation in the workforce. We're slowly getting it back. But women were, and the reality is for a long time, I don't know if it's societal, I don't know if it's biological, it doesn't matter. Women shoulder a disproportionate share of the household responsibilities and a disproportionate share of child rearing. So you had if you the triple whammy of kids Uh, any sort of health risk in a single mom, that was just literally untenable. All of a sudden, eight hours a day, Mm -hmm. you have your kid at home and you're responsible for learning from childcare. Now, here's the dirty secret of the pandemic. If you're in the top 10%, uh, maybe even the top 1%, and this is true of me, and I'm very self-conscious saying this, these have been the best two years of my life. The pandemic for me meant more time with my kids, more time with Netflix and my stock skyrocketed. Oh dear. And this is the problem with the government's response to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that is rather than getting money to the people who needed it, we threw some loaves of bread and some circuses for the poor and the middle class, but what we really did was flush so much market into the economy that it ended up in the market. So guys like me got wealthier Mm -hmm. and didn't really have to pay a price for it. And it was criminal. It was absolutely criminal. And if we're gonna, the next time, and what we could have done with that money do you realize we spent 6 trillion dollars? Yes. What would that have done to child poverty? What would that have done to mental illness? What would that have done to obesity? What would that have done to relationships? Childhood, yeah. you know, childhood trauma. Instead, we put it all in the fucking market. We figured out an elegant way to put it in the market, but we put it mm-hmm. all in the market such that the 1% made off like bandits Oh, you're
1: going a whole economic direction versus well, parenting i like it i agree with you i agree with a, you
0: and we did it on our kids and our grandkids credit cards yeah. who was hard on in my life it was hard on my youngest who without school came off the rails mm-hmm. um, without socialization i had never seen anything like it it was one of the scariest moments in my life i came home and i said to my partner i said his voice is different something's wrong mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and it was terrifying and then also my in-laws who i wouldn't allow in our house for several months because i was worried about their health And you just saw their inability to see their and hang out and socialize with their grandkids was hugely damaging. But here's the dirty secret of the pandemic. Mm. It would have been solved faster. If if the NASDAQ had gone down 30%, when someone Mm -hmm. walked into Walmart without a mask, we would have tased them and then asked questions later.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: So it took a huge toll on certain communities. The biggest toll, obviously people who lost loved ones were affecting their health and self. The second biggest toll, single mothers were not economically secure. But this is the dirty secret. The top 10%, and I don't know how you feel about this. I look back on the best years of my life, and the last two have probably been it.
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I saw the effect on my kids at school I, and my son's graduation and this and that. I think there's yeah, going to be. your kids are at a weird uh, age for that. High
0: school is a terrible time. You know, it, it, uh, you time. know
1: he, he graduated in a car driving by the high school. And, and, that you know, look, everyone's got problems, but it wasn't great. And same thing as first year of college. I think it would be interesting to study my older sons and my younger kids and what their, what their personality. I think that would be fascinating because they're. They were the most, and I think Alex missing all that high school. Now it's, he's turned out a lot better from now, but, um, that was hard. And I have to say my wife, um, does much more of the childcare of the younger. I do my older kids, but they're easier obviously. And my ex-wife is also very, uh, participates a lot. We, do that together. But um, Amanda did most of the work and had, I had a better job and more jobs and more work. And she definitely has shouldered a lot more of the childcare. And I think, you know, wants to have, she's working uh, now um as an editor uh, at the Washington Post, but she did a lot more of the childcare and, Definitely, it's even though I also am tired, um it's it's definitely been a tiring time, and I think, like Emily, I'm hoping for more. Okay. Here's another question via voicemail. Let's listen. Hi Scott
3: and Kara, it's Phoebe in Brooklyn and I'm curious how you measure your success as working parents. I am a small business owner, I have two preschool aged children and there is no end to the time and attention that I could give them that I know that they would benefit from, but at the same time I need to provide them economic security. I'm also entering my prime earning years, I don't want to miss out on that. And so I'm just curious, what signals do you look at that let you know you're doing a good job balancing earning out in the world and being a good parent at home? I just feel like the two are constantly at odds with each other.
1: Well, Phoebe, just as I noted, they're constantly at odds with each other. I am also doing really well from a work point of view. And when I had this, my other, my older kids, same thing. I was doing really well and it's really hard. I think I, I, in both times, I know I was sacrificing some parenting when I was doing so well at work. Um, I don't think they'll ever not going to be, uh, at odds. I I don't know how you do it. You just have to be aware of it and not necessarily feel guilty all the time. I would say I'm doing a better job of it now, but I'm lucky enough to have, let me just thank Amanda again, uh, someone who's, who's, who's shouldering more of the parenting responsibilities than me, although I think I'm pretty good. And at the same time, understand if this is your time to shine at work, it is your time to shine at work. And so Uh, There's lots of studies showing people who work have um, more stable kids. There's all kinds of studies about that, but it's it's constantly at odds. Scott?
0: Yeah, daughters whose mothers work make more money because they see their mom working. Look, I'm a capitalist on this. I've always been very focused on money, and rich people will tell you that they don't think about money, and they're lying to you. They think about it all the time. That's like— saying Roger Federer doesn't think about tennis when he's not on the court. He thinks about tennis all the fucking time, and that's why he's Roger Federer. And uh, I did not see my kids very much at all the first five years of their life. And you know what? It was worth it. Because I decided that one of the things I was gonna do as their dad was was I was gonna provide economic security for them. I see that, I think America becomes more like America every day, and that is it is a loving, generous place if you have money. And it's a rapacious, violent place if you don't. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted my kids, A, to have that stress. And B, I saw that the things I would want to do with my kids and that my ability to be a good dad and not have that stress would be unfortunately, tragically, largely correlated to our economic security. And you can have it all, you just can't have it all at once. So I'm going, I am taking my boys who are soccer mad to World Cup. It's gonna cost a crazy amount of money, it's gonna be amazing. And there's no there's no free lunch here. The reason we can do that is because the first five years of their life, I didn't see them a hell of a lot. And I'm not suggesting you ignore your kids, but I think someone in the household, maybe both, have to take economic responsibility for the household. And there is no free lunch here. It requires sacrifice. Yeah, it came at a huge cost to me, a huge cost. I missed a lot. I missed mm-hmm. a lot. And, and it, but it now it affords me uh, the opportunity to do a lot of wonderful things with my kids. But I think it's important. And this this trope or this mythology of balance and always mm-hmm. be there for no your kids,
1: such no <sighs> such thing.
0: No such balance you is. You can't a myth. stay
1: in touch with them every day. I try to reach text a, them.
0: A, get home for bath time. Go back to work. We Whatever it might be, you try. Yeah, you try. But uh, I I saw my job. I'm out to hunt the fucking mastodon and bring it home. And if you it means I can't be home alone, if it yeah. means I can't be home a lot for extended periods of time, it's it's terrible. you know, it's too bad for me, it's too bad for them. And also, and this sounds aggrieved. It was really hard on me. I, mm-hmm. I did not like being away from my family. Yeah. I, I was roaming Agreed. the earth trying to make a shit ton of money because I see that's what you need to live the way we would want to live
1: all right, Mastodon. I would agree. <laughs> Just t- take some time. take some time every day. Scott, we're going to hear some advice from another friend of Pivot, Jamila Lemieux.
5: It's Jamila
3: Lemieux from Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's Parenting Podcast. One piece of advice I wish I'd gotten on parenting, I wish that someone had encouraged me early on to be more forgiving of myself. We as parents, moms in particular, but really all parents put so much pressure on ourselves to function, to be good at this thing that we're trying to do, which is raising children. And you make a lot of mistakes along the way. Even my failed parenting moments are wins in in many ways. You know, there's been lessons learned and my child is still here, still breathing, nine and a half years old. I've kept her alive this long. So yeah, I wish that someone had encouraged me to just be a lot more forgiving of
1: myself. Absolutely. You just said that, Scott. Absolutely. Give give yourself a break. You're not as bad as you think you are.
0: My colleague at NYU, Adam Alter, who's uh, got appointments to the psychology department and the business school, does a lot of uh, research on end of life. He sits with people mm-hmm. in palliative care and asks them their biggest regrets. Mm-hmm. And typically at the top, in addition to they wish they'd stayed in touch with people, invested more in relationships, wish they'd lived the life that they wanted to leave, live instead mm-hmm. of trying to conform to society. Number one or number two people wish they'd been more forgiving of themselves, not only across mm-hmm. parenting, but just the majority of the regret isn't about the bad decisions they made, but how hard on themselves they were. So cut yourself cut yourself some slack, forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful moment, a really powerful moment in um, the mayor of Binghamton, what was it called? Oh, the,
1: oh, mayor of Easton.
0: Mayor of Easton, thank you. But Jean Smart, who plays the grandmother, says to the mother, uh, the the mother is giving jean smart a hard time uh, the story is about a young man uh, the, the son who commits suicide and the grandmother's uh, the mother is getting mad at jean smart and saying, when well, you were not a great mother she said you're right I wasn't you know what I forgave myself and she says to her she says you know what you need to forgive yourself i thought that was so powerful yeah.
1: it was kate winslet who was kate in that winslet, role that excuse was a great me. that that relationship with the mother and the daughter was so fantastic great kate winslet show. and Gene smart great show great show, you're great right. show. You're right. You're right. Forgive yourself. I never give myself too hard a time in that regard. I think about it myself, but I do. Yeah, give yourself a fucking break, everybody. The, most people really are trying to be good parents. And um, you're not, not doing everybody. your kid any
0: favor feeling guilty no. or bad. Try and, try, and, no. and, try and transition or leverage that guilt into just being better, like not doing whatever your your always- about just don't do it again guilt always ends
1: up in a fight with your spouse guilt always whenever I'm guilty is when I have a fight with Amanda which isn't about the kids it's really interesting Um, I should think about that more and be more reflective about it okay let's go on a quick break when we come back we'll take questions about schooling and moral teaching ooh a slippery slope for Scott Galloway
0: Support for Pivot comes from hidden layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named most innovative startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com/pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution.
1: Okay, Scott, we're back. Here's a question that came in via voicemail about a topic we know many parents grapple with.
7: Hi, Kara. Hi, Scott. My partner and I are new parents and have long discussed how we would approach our child's education, particularly K-12 and whether or not to try and place our daughter in private school. Financial burden aside, we find ourselves going back and forth on a single point of consideration, that is, providing our child the best opportunity we can avail them to. I find within our own network, those who went to private school on average have more interesting networks, a more global worldview, more affinity for culture and the arts, and what generally, at least from an outward perspective, appears to be more professional success versus sending our daughter to the local public school, where she no doubt will not only be more exposed to different socioeconomic circles, walks of life, etc., but we'll also play our small part in stopping a cycle of what I would call segregation light. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks.
1: Oh, this is a good question. My first kids went all private school. I also went to private school. My ex-wife went to public school and actually went to accelerated programs. Uh, she, Her family didn't have the money and did really well. Went on to MIT on scholarships, scholarships all over the place. Um she really wanted to send our kids to private school and ended up having the money to do so uh, because of her working so hard her whole life. I was not a, I was against this. I wanted our kids to be in public schools. We were in an area with good public schools and I didn't want that. Our our daughter right now is in a a preschool that's private because she's too young to go to our, the preschools of DC, but I we want to send our kids to public school as much as we can. Um, I get this issue. Um, I just feel as if um there are so many good public schools and obviously you have to be active in them. I think putting my kids with I very much like the school my kids went to, but it was a bunch of privileged kids and just like them. And I they anytime they were out of that, they did a lot better um in their lives. So I think about this a lot. And it's not just the money savings, although it's insane how expensive these schools are. I we're gonna give it a go with Public schools for lots of reasons, not just this, I would agree, segregation light, but that it's worth it to invest in our public schools and everybody at every associate level should be involved in them. Scott, your thoughts?
0: So I had a different experience growing up. I went to public schools all the way through graduate school, and my two best friends, Adam and David, when our junior high, I was at Emerson Junior High School the year they started busing. And all of a sudden one day we showed up, and 40% of the school was black kids who had to get on a bus for an hour and a half from downtown. Mm -hmm. And you'd like to think in
1: Los Angeles, Angeles.
0: and you'd like to think that it was a Hallmark Channel moving. We all got along. I want to be clear: Mm -hmm. we hated each other. I'm not. We used to have black against white softball games. Do you believe the faculty used to allow that? It was violent. It was scary. It must have been terrible for them. They're spending two and a half hours on a bus every goddamn day. Mm -hmm. It was a frightening, not wonderful time of my of my life. And immediately, my two best friends, whose parents had more money than my mom pulled them out and sent them to this wonderful little private school called Winward. They got better educations than I did better connections, but I also got what I'd call a little bit more. I got more life skills. I think I mm-hmm. developed more empathy. My two best friends, one was a Mormon kid who went to Stanford. The other was a black kid who wasn't going to college unless he got a football scholarship. And I think it gave me both aspirational motivation, but also empathy. I learned how to navigate certain people <laughs> you okay. just learn certain skills. Having said that, now that I have kids, it's a tension between wanting to be a good citizen, because every time thoughtful parents like this individual leave the public school system, the public school systems die a little bit because it's not about even resources. It's about parental engagement. And so i've ho- my whole life thought our kids are going to public school. And then you end up in an area with that doesn't have great public schools, and your kid comes first. And you end up, at least we did, putting them in private schools. It is very hard. I don't have moral clarity around this issue because I thought my whole life I'd have my kids in public school just like I did because it did – I think over the long term, it really, it did pay off for me. Mm -hmm. But at the time, there was a lot – if my mom had the bandwidth to be all over and involved in my life the way we are involved in my kids' lives, we would have pulled uh, them out because it wasn't great. And you want to be a good citizen, but at the end of the day, you'll always defer to what you think is right, given your situation for the kid.
1: Yeah, don't feel bad. It's really hard. The public school in my where I grew up was quite good. I wish we had gone there. I definitely, I wish we had. It was a better school. I would have been a better student. I would have worked harder. Um, I, uh, you know, it, uh, it depends on where you are. It really does. I, I don't. You don't want. It's very difficult decision. Don't feel bad about any of them. But uh, we're going to go for public school for our kids. And I wish I had with my sons. I do. Even today, I do. I think uh, we happen to have a very good private school in San Francisco. I like the one in D.C., but there's definitely, it's definitely a group of people. And I would like them to meet another group of people and struggle maybe a little bit more. But
0: here's one of the socials in America. is school Mm -hmm. funding is based on property taxes. So if you live in a wealthy neighborhood, the public school is usually pretty good. And if you don't live in a wealthy neighborhood, the public school usually isn't.
1: Yep, that's right. Correct. Anyway, we also heard from Paul from Canada who homeschools his child. He asks, have you come across successful individuals who are homeschooled? Many. Many people in San Francisco are, did, and I knew, and these students were terrific. And even, uh, there's a lot of it, evangelicals who do this, homeschool their kids, and I got to say, they're very well educated, um, whether you agree with their politics or not, or their their, their religion or anything else. Uh, homeschooling can be very, uh, can. the only thing is the socialization aspect. You have to really try. Uh, I got
0: to be honest with you, Kara. I hear that. I think mm-hmm. it's strange. And I don't have data mm-hmm. to back it up, and I'm, I think I'm being biased here. And stereotyping it, mm-hmm. I think the forty nine to fifty one percent of the value is mm-hmm. being around a ton of strange kids and going through yep. the lunch cafeteria yep. and agree. all that. I, I don't. I both. I'm talking about is strange.
1: Uh, I do. I do, but I've this. I've run across students, and they're very good. Yep. They're very yeah. good. Yeah. You know, they just are. So are most kids from Europe, by the way. Anyway, um, last question. This one comes in via email. It says. How do you teach morality to your children? My husband and I have decided to leave organized religion for now, but we want to make sure we still provide our four kids with solid foundation and morality and allow them the chance to learn about different faiths. We have a bit unmoored, both being cradle Catholics. And although there are reasons for why we finally broke with the church, we also know it's important for families to mark traditions and belong in the community. Any advice on how to navigate spirituality, morality, and religion with your kids? Love your shows. Love you both. Kelly from Roswell, Georgia. Oh, this is a big one um my ex wife took my kids to all kinds of churches i i had I was a cradle Catholic too, and the minute I was confirmed, largely for my grandmother, I never entered the Catholic Church again. It was anti women it was anti gay There was all kinds of reasons, but I do miss it I do miss it. I go by churches lately, and I'm like, oh, I liked that i like there was something about it that was very comforting the community and and having faith. I, can't, I still can't do it, but uh, my ex-wife did a great job in introducing them. My kids do not go to church. Um, Amanda is Jewish, and we're just talking about that, where to enter them into that. Um, I the, Another thing I don't know a lot about, I probably won't be the spiritual person from and religious person for my kids ever. I think it's important to talk to them about morality, obviously, um, and things like that. But I don't know. What are your kids' church, Scott? I don't think you do, right?
0: Oh, no, I'm a rabid atheist. And mm-hmm. we have conversations around this, and we talk about the differences between kind of the fundamental differences between religions. And, and uh, I talk to my kids a lot about my atheism, and that one of my role models is Jesus Christ. I like the mm-hmm. notion of love the poor as a beginning, a starting point, mm-hmm. but I don't believe, you know, he was the son of God. Mm-hmm. And I talk about what I think is great about religion, what is not so great about it. And I ask them if they want to uh go to church or temple. You know, I was raised sort of semi-Jewish, if you will. Like, Atheism is a huge source of comfort for me, but I don't want to impose it on my kids. In terms of teaching morality, uh, you know, God, that's a tough one. I think you just, I'm cognizant of it. I try to be an especially, <laughs> I try to be a better citizen in front of my kids. My kids have motivated me to be a better man. Uh, and that is you just got to assume your kids are going to look to you more than anyone uh, in terms of a role model. The other thing I'll say is for all the criticism... That schools get about quote unquote their wokeness, most of it is basically saying, try to be a really good human. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. and yeah, my kids learn a don't lot. Don't be an of, asshole. Yeah, my yeah, kids learn a lot of wonderful things at school. Like mental health has been destigmatized at school. Mm-hmm. They've really taken a stand against bullying. Everyone complains about, and there are some bad things about. What you whatever you want to call woke culture going over the you know oppressors on this side of the classroom oppressed on this side. that doesn't happen mm-hmm. that often, it does, but it doesn't, doesn't happen that often, and the majority of the foundation there is trying to take lessons in history and say, this is why everyone deserves dignity. This is why the American Disabilities Act was so wonderful really? so I, I think that the I think actually good schools do a pretty good job of instilling some of those some of those values um yeah, my kid we're not religious go over the top he has to go to chapel on sunday night
1: oh yeah london loves that
0: immediately my antenna go up you know what they talk about in chapel they did mm-hmm. a ceremony last week honoring fallen uh fallen men during world war one and world war ii oh,
1: it's very a- and British. it was
0: uh, but you know what kara it's wonderful mm-hmm. it was I young agree. men it was young men who were fighting the agency of something bigger than themselves and, you know, the reason I'm alive is my mom is a five-year-old Jew living in London, had these brave mm-hmm. men go and, and basically die. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they do that is – that's morality. You you, mm-hmm. you try and surround – unfortunately, the thing you can't you can't control, which I think is hugely important, you can control your own behavior, you can control the school they go to to a certain extent. The thing you can not control that's so important is their peer group. And yep. I got so lucky growing up. My, again, my two best friends, Adam and David – they were just fundamentally like gentle, sweet boys, mm-hmm. and they were nice, good kids. And I got a lot of that. I'd like to think I got a lot of that. Your kid falls in with the wrong crowd or the right crowd, yeah. and you can't control it. You can't. It's you're
1: lucky that way. Yeah. yeah. I would say, morale, it's really hard. I again, as I said, I have lately walked by churches, and it's not the religion. It's the. I'm an agnostic. I'm not an atheist like Scott is. I don't know. And. Every now and then, I'm uh, there's some comfort in faith. There is, um, and I agnostics
0: I, are closeted atheists.
1: They are not. They are not. Hundred percent. They are not. They are not. You lack the
0: sack to admit you don't believe in a no, super being or invisible I friend. I do
1: actually. I don't know. I don't know. I do not bully me. Speaking mm-hmm. of a little bullying, mm-hmm. um, I do find. Um, there's morality everywhere. Teaching morality Agreed. doesn't come from a church necessarily. It comes from teachers. It comes from parents. It comes from friends. It comes from making mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life um, and things I regret. Not a ton, but definitely. And I think being able to talk about that honestly with your kids is really important.
0: I was so self-conscious when I say atheism. I went to mm-hmm. a temple. I went to church. And I always loved both. You yeah. Know, people getting together. In the agency of something that basically says "be good to your neighbor," I love that mm-hmm. part during the service where they would say, mm-hmm. "Introduce yeah. yourself to the person in front of you, behind you." Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, my my experience with organized religion has always been very positive. There is a strength to religion as a guide. I think some some Just exposure to religion to shove it down
1: your throat is the problem.
0: Yeah, it's this is a tough one. This is a very individual uh, decision, mm-hmm. but. My experience with what I'll call fairly progressive or reformed churches and temples was always very positive.
1: Let's go to church together or temple. You're always do that? saying let's that. You and I. You're we're always gonna go. saying that. We're going to go. A little Christmas service. Anyway, these were great questions. We are imperfect parents, but we think we're pretty good at it. And we think we've done a pretty good job and we hope to do a better job tomorrow. Um, as always, if you've got a question about business, tech, politics, or anything else, including parenting, go to nymag.com slash pivot and submit it to the show Scott, that's the show. I want everyone to go hug their kids. There's not enough hugs in the world. The problem with the world is not enough kids got hugged by their parents. That's my whole theory. Anyway, we'll be back on Tuesday with a regular episode. We hope that everyone is spending the holiday with someone they love, whether it's a parent, child, someone very dear, a friend, person you met on the subway. I don't care. Just spend it with someone. Anyway, drive safe and be careful around candles. Scott, your final words?
0: Uh, biggest surprise in my life to the upside, having kids, full stop.
1: Full stop. So read us out.
0: Today's show is produced by Lara Neyman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Emile Silverio. Ernie Andrew engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to great podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business.
1: And we love our kids. Yay, kids. To Louie, Alex, Clara, and Saul, you're the best kids. What about yours, Scott?
0: Nolan and Alec, everything has meaning now. Everything has meaning. And you won't understand what that means until you have sons. Our daughters. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here...